The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking. When we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Happy New Year, history fans! Chandler and I are hard at work on a new batch of episodes, but we need a little time to catch up after the holidays. Please enjoy these flashback episodes from the TDI HC Vault, and be sure to tune in on January 9th for a brand new episode. Hey y'all, Happy New Year. I'm still at home, but I am excited to bring you the first episode of a new decade. Enjoy! The day was January 1st, 1818. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, or The Modern Prometheus, was first published. At a young age, Mary had taken an interest in writing stories, but her childhood and early adult years were tumultuous. Less than two weeks after she was born, her mother, writer and women's rights advocate Mary Wollstonecraft, died of puerperal fever. When Mary was 16 years old, she eloped with the wealthy writer Percy Bysshe Shelley, who abandoned his wife. She gave birth to four children, but only one survived to adulthood, and she miscarried during her fifth pregnancy. In 1816, Mary's sister, Fanny Goodwin, as well as Percy's wife, Harriet Shelley, died by suicide. Mary was inspired to write Frankenstein on a rainy June night in 1816, 1816 is known as the year without a summer, since it was marked by low temperatures, high rainfall, and crop failures around the world attributed to the eruption of Mount Tambora in the Dutch East Indies. History of a Six Weeks Tour, a travel narrative by Mary and Percy published in 1817, contains letters written during their time in Geneva during that summer. In the letters, Mary writes about the dark and rainy weather. Her journey through France and Switzerland provided the perfect setting for writing a Gothic story. Mary was in Lake Geneva, Switzerland with Percy, as well as poet Lord Byron and physician and writer John Polidori. The group was reading a French translation of a German book of ghost stories called Phantasmagoriana at the Villa Diodati, the house where they would have spirited late night discussions. 
When Byron suggested they see who could write the best ghost story, they took on the challenge. Polidori ended up writing The Vampire, which was published three years later. But the competition also marked the birth of Frankenstein. One night, after one of the group's philosophical discussions, Mary could not sleep. She later wrote about the restless night. She said, quote, I saw the pale student of the unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together. I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out and then on the working of some powerful engine show signs of life and stir with an uneasy, half-vital motion. Frightful must it be, for supremely frightful would be the effect of any human endeavor to mock the stupendous mechanism of the creator of the world. It was the origin of her story, one about a scientist named Victor Frankenstein who created an eight-foot-tall creature made of the body parts of dead people. Percy encouraged Mary to turn the story into a novel, and she finished writing the book by May of 1817. Frankenstein, or The Modern Prometheus, was first published anonymously in London as a three-volume novel on January 1st, 1818. The book is a combination of a gothic horror story and science fiction. In it, Frankenstein's nameless monster turns into a murderer who is tortured by loneliness and rejection. The first edition of the novel contained a preface written by Percy Shelley. In fact, when it was published, many people thought that Percy Shelley had written it. Another edition of the novel, credited to Mary Shelley and edited by her father, was published several years later. In 1831, the first one-volume edition of the book was published. Shelley wrote several more novels, but Frankenstein is her best-known book. Frankenstein has since become the inspiration for stories about morality, human hubris, and scientists and the implications of their creations. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Feel free to shoot us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com, or if you prefer social media, hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Happy New Year, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that belts out the greatest hits of history, one day at a time. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're talking about the concert that turned Johnny Cash into a champion of prison reform and set one talented inmate on his own path to country music fame. The day was January 1st. 1959. Musician Johnny Cash rang in the new year by performing live at San Quentin State Prison in California. The maximum security penitentiary, just outside of San Francisco, was the second of more than 30 prisons the singer performed at in his lifetime. The concerts were held at various correctional facilities throughout at least 10 states, sometimes at the direct request of the inmates. The shows eventually inspired the recording of two live albums, Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison, released in 1968, and Johnny Cash at San Quentin, released in 1969. Although it wasn't recorded, the New Year's concert at San Quentin was historic in its own right. 
not only for the positive effect it had on Cash's career and public persona, but also for its impact on another country music legend who happened to be in the audience that day. Cash performed at San Quentin for the first time as part of a seven-hour entertainment extravaganza, which the prison held for the inmates on January 1st of each year. Cash's performance was the standout of the 1959 show, beating out other popular acts like a women's dance troupe and a 17-piece jazz band. The prison had its own inmate-published paper called the San Quentin News, and for the January 9th edition, the headline was, quote, Gigantic Review, Herald's New Year, 3,000 San Quentin Men, Cheer Stars, and Johnny Cash. The singer had never been imprisoned himself, except for one night at a time whenever he was arrested for public intoxication. Nonetheless, he felt a special connection or kinship with those behind bars. As Cash's younger brother Tommy later explained, quote, He always identified with the underdog. He identified with the prisoners because many of them had served their sentences and had been rehabilitated in some cases, but were still kept there the rest of their lives. He felt a great empathy with those people. As someone who wrestled with alcohol and substance abuse, Cash empathized with those who had made bad choices or given in to their own worst impulses. His prison concerts, which he always performed for free, were a way to offer comfort and maybe even the hope of finding another, better path for the prisoners' own lives. That turned out to be the case for at least one of the inmates at San Quentin that day, the future country music star Merle Haggard. In 1957, Haggard had been arrested for burglary at age 18. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison, but wound up serving a little less than three. Cash's performance occurred about halfway through his stint, and Haggard later cited it as a life-changing moment, one that inspired him to pursue his own career in music. He got to work as soon as he was released on parole in 1960, and eventually he racked up 38 number one hits on the country charts, including songs like Sing Me Back Home and Oki from Muskogee. Years later, Haggard reflected on why Cash had been received so enthusiastically by he and the other inmates. He said, quote, Johnny Cash had the right attitude. He chewed gum, looked arrogant, and flipped the bird to the guards. He did everything the prisoners wanted to do. He was a mean mother from the South who was there because he loved us. When he walked away, everyone in that place had become a Johnny Cash fan. The two singers reunited in 1969 on an episode of The Johnny Cash Show on ABC. The host mentioned that he didn't remember Merle being part of the concert that day, to which Haggard quipped, Well, I was in the audience, Johnny. Cash went on to perform dozens more prison concerts, including at least two more at San Quentin. During each visit, he made time to get to know the inmates. He would sit down with them and listen to their stories, what had led them to be incarcerated, and what they hoped to do when, or if, they were released. These stories would later inform Cash's songwriting, which frequently took the perspective of outlaws and outsiders. 
Following his messy public struggle with drug addiction, the prison concerts and the albums they inspired helped jumpstart Cash's career. But it's clear that the cause always meant far more to him than money. Providing entertainment and a listening ear was already beyond what most prisoners would expect from a celebrity. But Cash didn't stop there. The time he spent within prison walls led him to advocate for the rights of prisoners and to use his power to push for prison reform. He donated a portion of the sales from his live prison albums to reform campaigns, and in 1972, he got involved directly by testifying before Congress about prison conditions. Appearing before the Senate Subcommittee on National Penitentiaries, Cash said, quote, I have seen and heard of things at some of the concerts that would chill the blood of the average citizen. But I think possibly the blood of the average citizen needs to be chilled in order for public apathy and conviction to come about. Because right now, we have 1972 problems and 1872 jails. People have got to care in order for prison reform to come about. Johnny Cash continued to perform at U.S. prisons until at least 1980, and as he grew older, he stayed in touch with prisoners he had met and visited some of the ones who lived near his home in Tennessee. Today, the United States incarcerates more people per capita than any other developed country in the world. As of 2021, the number stands at roughly 2.3 million people in jail which breaks down to 639 out of every 100,000 American citizens. There have been many victories for the cause of prison reform since Cash's New Year's concert at San Quentin, but the rate of incarceration has kept right on growing. Over half a century later, the need for prison reform remains a vital issue. That means that, for better or worse, the music of Johnny Cash and the stories that inspired it are just as relevant now as ever. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you want to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 